Joining me now from the studios of the Radio Foundation in New York City is the author of Famous Father Girl, a memoir of growing up Bernstein. Jamie Bernstein, welcome to the Well-Tempered Wireless. Thank you very much. Great to be here. It's, it's such an honor to get to talk to you. The book is totally enthralling. I, I truly could not put it down. It kept me up to four in the morning one night. Oh, sorry. Uh, no <laughs> so, thank apology you very much. necessary. And then, and then I read it all again. Uh, Golly. There are, there are characters in this book like a Russian novel. There's just, just a, a ton of very interesting and wonderful people, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I wanted to start with something not from your book, but from a letter that your mother wrote to your dad uh, when you were accompanying her and your brother, your younger brother Alexander, to Santiago, Chile. This was in the summer of 1957. And your mom writes to Dearest Darling Lennett, the children are smashed. Jamie has taken over the Alessandrini household already. What a delight it is to see all those children together. I'm so sorry that you can't see it too. The squealing, the giggling, the mixture of languages. And in the midst of it all, Jamie is the queen. The, <laughs> the glamorous, beautiful, imperious pixie. And they are at her feet, ready for her slightest whim. Well, you were already a rock star. <laughs> a little embarrassing, actually. Well, what I was already was bossy, clearly. You were very young then. Yeah, I was like four or five, I think. Yeah, and, and already um, <laughs> you've traveled uh, the world to, uh, to Chile. It, it, it's, uh, your mom, Felicia Montalegre Bernstein, was uh, an actress and a pianist. Uh, from Chile, right? Yes, she was born actually in Costa Rica, but she was raised in Chile along with her uh, her two younger sisters. What a, a very interesting couple they were, uh, Felicia and, and Leonard. You're right, they were very unusual, especially for their time. I think they were both kind of bohemian in a funny way. My mother more than my father, actually. Uh, when my mother first came to New York, she was, I don't know, she must have been like in her early 20s. And she was ostensibly going to study the piano with her fellow Chilean, Claudio Arrao. And maybe that was why she got permission to go up there from her parents. But the minute she got to New York, she switched to acting and took drama classes and got herself a little basement apartment in Greenwich Village and a little dog called Nebish. <laughs> so when I think back to this version of my mother, I think, wow, she was really kind of cool and hip and, and a bohemian of her day. Well, and she obviously had uh, uh, some real talent. I mean, she was when she was in New York, she was appearing um, in various television programs, Playhouse 90, right? And That's right, and Craft Theater, all those early television dramas that were filmed live. And do you know what, can you imagine what a thrill it was when members of my family and I all together on summer vacation discovered that we could find some of these ancient television dramas on YouTube. And we all clustered around <laughs> yeah. the laptop on the kitchen table in this summer rental and watched this ancient, ancient show from like 1949. I mean, I'm talking 
the beginnings of television. And uh, my mother's co-star in Flowers from a Stranger was Yul Brynner. And this was so long ago that Yul Brynner even had hair. <laughs> I, I've seen a picture of that, yeah. Um, before we go much further, I think we should lay out briefly some of the characters, the key characters involved. We've, we've just talked about your, your mother, Felicia. Your dad, of course, was Leonard. Uh, he had a, a brother and a sister who were also part of the gang. In fact, they were very close, weren't they? Very. They used to refer to themselves as the impenetrable Bernstein Front, which was a <laughs> World War II reference. Uh, they created their own language. They did. Actually, the language was, it's not really a thorough language, but it was a sort of take on the way the older generation of, you know, immigrants uh, talked and also a combination of, I don't know, nasal conditions. And so <laughs> there were certain words and phrases that you could say in Ribernian. And it was actually created by my father and his uh, friend down the street, Eddie Ryak. So the name Ryburnian is like a portmanteau of Ryak and Bernstein. Uh, and in addition to your brother and your, your sister, Alexander and Nina, respectively, who came along a bit later, there was, it seems, an endless stream of truly remarkable people coming through uh, your, your place. Uh, Lauren Bacall, Stephen Sondheim, Mike Nichols, just to drop a few names. Yeah, it was a kind of name-dropping situation. But, you know, when you're a kid, your family is just your family. You have no frame of reference about it. And so my parents' friends were just their friends, and I didn't know that there was anything special about them. It's only looking back on it that I realize, my gosh, what an extraordinary human environment to grow up in. With all of these characters in your book and, and the, the vivid portrait you paint of uh, this history that you went through, uh, you, of course, being a, another major character in it, uh, there was one passage that struck me for a couple of reasons. One, because it, it sort of laid out um, some of the peculiarities of being a daughter of a Leonard Bernstein, but also I thought the writing was exceptionally good. Would you mind reading that section for us, please? I'd be delighted. It's one of my favorite sections, too, actually. While it was fun to get all the extra attention in public, I could never be sure what Daddy was going to do. On winter break, I went with him and Alexander to the brand-new ski resort in Vail, Colorado. One night, we all went to Casino Vail, a disco. They began playing the theme from Zorba the Greek, of all things, and Daddy grabbed me. The next thing I knew, we were dancing full tilt to the bouzouki music, just the two of us, while the crowd made a ring around us, clapping in rhythm and egging us on. Daddy pulled out a handkerchief and was waving it around above his head. Then he was down on his knees. I danced in a circle around him. What else could I do? I was trapped a mortified moon doomed to eternal orbit around an ecstatic, sweaty, handkerchief-twirling sun. An excerpt from Famous Father Girl, a memoir of Growing Up Bernstein by Jamie Bernstein, who's joined us from the studios of the Radio Foundation in New York City. 
I think that's just beautifully written. And what an image that sets up of uh, your relationship with your dad. Yeah, you know, to tell you the truth, I briefly contemplated uh, titling my book Mortified Moon. <laughs> <laughs> but then I decided that was just a little too poetic or something. The scenes that you paint uh, are, as I said, very interesting. And, and Felicia's role in trying to keep everything together when you had all these uh, exuberant, extroverted personalities running through the house was, uh, was utterly fascinating. Uh, uh, there's one point where you say, <clears throat> Daddy would do something impulsive and then Mommy felt compelled to be responsible and ruin the fun. That did happen. Uh, it was my mother's uh, fate to be the person who had to be the, you know, the sort of responsible one, you know, like the designated driver of this wacky family. And, huh. you know, she liked to have fun, too, and she could get wacky herself at times. But because she was, you know, the head of the household and the mother, the, all of that and all of what that entailed, she inevitably found herself in this sort of policeman role, which was not a fun role. And yet she had to do it from time to time, quite often, in fact. And it was not her favorite thing. So I think she struggled with that. Uh, another one of the struggles that, and it's sort of a, a running subtext through the book, is your quest to become a rock star in, in a very literal sense. You were uh, exploring the possibilities of being a songwriter and a, and a performer. Yes, I devoted many years of my life in my 20s and early 30s to trying to achieve this singer-songwriter thing. And uh, it took me all the way out to L.A. I moved out there. I made my demo tapes. I shopped them around, as one did back in the day. I looked for, you know, record companies and managers and lawyers. And it, it was a very long slog. And in the end, I did get the record deal, and I made the record. But the recording company decided they didn't like it, and they didn't release it. So all that effort just came to exactly zero. Wow. And this went on for years, yeah? It did. It went on for a long time. Uh, let's see. You know, in the early 80s, I moved out to L.A., and I'd already been working on it in New York since about 1978. And then I finally made the record in uh, early 1985, and then it all came apart by that spring. So that was kind of the trajectory. So it was about seven years, I would say. Wow. And then meanwhile, your dad is going uh, to the New York Philharmonic. He, he became music director there. And as I forget who it was who actually said this, but he would, he would do a concert on Thursday and read. Oh, I know it was John Malcherry yes, who said this. Yes, it was John Malcherry who said that he would do a concert on Thursday and then open the paper on Friday to find out what an idiot he was. The, According uh, to he, Harold Schoenberg, who just had it in yeah, for Leonard I mean, he, Bernstein. What, the, what was going on there? Uh, you know, what's the line about you can't be a prophet in your hometown or something like that? Apparently so. So, I mean, the audiences loved what they were experiencing at Philharmonic Hall on a regular basis. And looking back on it, imagine the luxury of having four chances per week to hear the New York Philharmonic conducted by Leonard Bernstein. That, that, that was just a lot of 
deliciousness that was, yeah. uh, you know, that it was uh, available to one and all. But this one critic on the New York Times, Harold Schoenberg, I don't know what his problem was, but he just, I think he really resented the sheer success that my father was having and the sheer belovedness of him and the fact that he was glamorous and flamboyant and jumped around and it was easy to make fun of him and easy to insult him and make make little of what he was accomplishing, which was a lot. Because looking back on it, we have to marvel at his ability to bring in audiences by the tens of thousands. And that's not even counting the audiences he was creating with his young people's concerts on television with the New York Philharmonic, which was literally creating all the future audiences for the orchestras in the future. Well, and ironically, in Schoenberg's book, The Glorious Ones, Bernstein's included with uh, Sir George Schulte and uh, uh, Herbert von Karajan as three of the great conductors. So uh, Yeah, maybe, well, thanks a lot for getting around to thinking that. <laughs> and then, at the same time, he'd go to Europe or Asia, and, and he was revered. People went crazy over him. Yes, they did. It was in Europe that he really experienced the full-on adulation. And I think that's one of the reasons why he worked there more and more as time went by. Well, obviously this would have been quite a, um, what shall I say, challenge for him to deal with these two different worlds. Uh, but then on top of that, and this is something I think you mentioned in a documentary I saw, when he would try to compose after a stint of conducting, he would try to take time off, a sabbatical, to, uh, to get to what he really wanted to do. He really wanted to be a great composer, or at least a pretty good one. And some would say he, he certainly did that. But the, the process of going from conductor to composer, I think the phrase you used was he stripped his gears. Yes, it's true, because it was really like, and I've actually, I just recently read a quote of my father himself uh, saying what I thought I had invented which was that it was as if he were two different people housed inside the same body because there was the extrovert, the conductor, the communicator, the partier, the people lover, and that was the one who was on the road. And then there was the other person who was the composer. And you know, a composer is, is a creative artist who has to turn inward and access stuff that's deeply inside and they have to turn off everything that's going on outside them and really look inward and be alone. That's a completely different kind of person. So my father would have to shut off the outgoing person inside him and turn on the inward turning person inside him and it was really hard to do. And I think as he got older, it got harder and harder for him to do that. Hmm. Well, um, my guest is Jamie Bernstein. She's the author of Famous Father Girl. It's a fabulous book, um, and I, I would highly recommend it. It's um, published by Harper, uh, and it's available wherever uh, sensible good books are sold. <laughs> uh, I'd like to think of my book as sensible. <laughs> in, in part, certainly. Um, one thing that utterly stunned me that I had never had even a hint of 
was that when uh, Jackie Onassis was working on getting the Kennedy Center uh, built, she had called not to ask for mass, but to ask your dad to be artistic director. Yes, it's true. And that's why my father was so dismayed when he, of course, said yes, because how could you say no to Jackie about anything? But he didn't want to be a, an administrator. That was not what he was put on the earth to do. So he ran in despair to my mother, his wife, saying, oh my God, Felicia, what have I done? But I couldn't say no, and I can't do it, and what am I going to do? So it was my mother who saved the day by calling Jackie back herself and saying, oh, Lenny is so honored by your offer, but really, don't you think it might be more appropriate if he were to, say, write the uh, piece for the inaugural concert? And that was how Mass came to be born. Mm. And you also uh, get into some of the uh, 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 sinister side going on with J. Edgar Hoover, who, and this is, this is stunning to me, thought there were secret messages in the Mass? <laughs> well, it wasn't J. Edgar Hoover. I mean, I'm sure he would have concurred. But actually, this uh, secret message business was hatched by uh, President Nixon's own henchmen, Charles Colson and, and Bob Haldeman and all those guys. Um, they were the ones who were always looking for conspiracies. And they were certain that there was a secret message planted in mass in Latin to embarrass the president. And what all of this hyperventilation turned out to be about was just dona nobis pacem, which is just a line in the standard liturgical text of any Catholic mass. It's just in there. And, but because it was the middle of the Vietnam War, they had this whole inflated idea that this was injected in there on purpose. Dona nobis pacem, grant us peace, was the secret message. Wow. Uh, your book and the writing, I thought, was remarkably frank at the same time that it was remarkably compassionate about your dad, who uh, was bisexual, and your mother knew it, and they, they came to an agreement, but it was something that from time to time caused... Uh, well, difficulties. Yes, it did cause difficulties. And, you know, people are complicated no matter yeah. what. And this was an extra complication that they were aware of. They, there's this amazing letter of my mother's that I quote in the book where she lays it right out there before they got married. And she's saying, I know you're a homosexual and it's just the way things are, but we really do love each other and we could make a beautiful life together and we can have a family and let's just do this crazy thing. And it was an amazing letter to find and we found it quite recently. It was in a sealed envelope with a bunch of other stuff that had been sealed by my father's manager, Harry Kraut. And on the outside of this big envelope, it said, not to be opened until 25 years after Bernstein's death. And this was now about 10 years ago, so that would have been, <clears throat> let's say, 2008. And mm -hmm. that was only 18 years after Bernstein's death. But we all looked at each other and thought, oh, come on, let's just open it up. So we did. And in this bunch of stuff, we found this letter of our mother's that revealed that she and 
our dad knew exactly what they were doing and what they were getting into, and they went into this marriage with their eyes open. And it was an amazing discovery for us to, to realize that, that they, they went consciously into this relationship and this marriage. It was a beautiful thing to discover, actually. My guest is Jamie Bernstein. She's the uh, daughter, the first daughter, of Leonard Bernstein and Felicia Montealegre. And her book is Famous Father Girl, a memoir of growing up Bernstein. Uh, and lest our listeners be concerned, it has a happy ending. Uh, <laughs> it does. After years of, of struggle and uh, uh, searching, uh, you came out okay, You're, and it was in a, a whole different area of your dad's expertise. Uh, that's and, true. Well, uh, I mean, so far, here I am, uh, ambulatory and, you know, running around narrating concerts and talking about music, and that inadvertently turned out to be uh, a pretty great solution to this conundrum in my life, which was that I was very musical, I had a really good ear, and I loved music, and I lived in music, but I just got so crazy when I would try to make music with my own body. So by talking about music, I'm still in the world of music. I'm, I'm in concerts, I'm with musicians, I'm hanging out with them afterwards, and you know, having that whole musician's life. And I'm adding value, too, because um, I'm talking about the music and, you know, enlightening audiences about what they're listening to. Uh, I'm just not making the music with my own body, which was kind of a sad thing to give up, but I'm so much calmer now. <laughs> well, good for you. And there are millions, millions of people around the world who got their uh, start in classical music by watching the man on the TV with the beautiful voice and, and the funny way of talking about Tchaikovsky and, and jazz and the Beatles and all that. And there's so much more in your book, but we just don't have time to go through all of it. I highly recommend, dear listener, Famous Father Girl, a memoir of Growing Up Bernstein by Jamie Bernstein. And Jamie, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to oh, us. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for being such a fan of the book. I appreciate it. This somehow is the key to the mystery of a great artist, that for reasons unknown to him or to anyone else, he will give away his life and his energies just to make sure that one note follows another inevitably. But in doing so, he makes us feel at the finish that something checks throughout, something that follows its own laws consistently, something we can trust that will never let us down.
the Mass has ended. Go in peace.